You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast. This is a podcast focusing on test cricket by the armchair critics of the game. I'm your host Ajit. We have a really special guest for you. So without further ado, let's have a chat with our guest. Today, we have a really special guest, Alok Prasanna Kumar joining us. So welcome to the Armchair Cricket Podcast, Alok. Thank you. Thank you, Ajit. We actually hear your uh, Cricket Kannadiga podcast and also your Ganatantra podcast. And we are fans of your, uh, let's say, your oration. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. All right. So let's take a quick look at the tests that are ongoing. So let's start with the Sri Lanka versus New Zealand test. So the second test is ongoing and only 66 hours of play have been possible. So this is the second day and already the second day is completed. And due to rain, only 66 hours have been possible and uh, Sri Lanka are 144 for six. Did you get a chance yeah. to follow this uh, game? Not really. I just saw the scorecard today in the afternoon sometime. I think just before the play was called off. Uh, it was showing 144 for 6. It's not, I don't think this is a game that will end. I think only if there's some brief period between the rains and later. I still think that uh, this uh, series is, it's turning in very unexpected directions. I don't think people expected Sri Lanka to win the previous test. They expected them to collapse in the fourth innings, but they didn't. Karnarana right. scored fantastic uh, century and took them to the victory. So I think mm-hmm. this was going to be a very interesting uh, game, but I, unfortunately, I think the rain is going to get in the way. I'm not too optimistic about a result. But anyway, it's not even one innings has happened, two days are done. So see, let's hopefully there might be some action in the next three days, but I'm not too optimistic. Well, I mean, weather gods permitting, mm-hmm. these, these test matches can get very interesting at times. You know, if both yeah. teams push for a result, at least New Zealand will push for a result, I'm sure. Because they want to take points away from this test. Because now with the World Test Championship started, they've considered the first test, so they've considered 60 points. They'll want to take something back home, more than a draw, let's say, right? So it's going to be an interesting thing. But when it comes to Karuna Ratna, I I was reading an article on Quick Info. There is a very interesting article that shows uh, the control spectrum or the amount of balls that Mm. are played comfortably in an innings by given batsmen. So Karuna Ratna is supposedly one of those people who has a very low control percentage on his uh, in a, in uh-huh. any extended innings. So, even in the last test where he yes. scored that uh, wonderful 100, it looked like he was yes. at least he had three drop chances. So, one when he was on 49, okay. one when he was yes. on 58, and yeah. again when he was on 58. Then he yeah. literally doubled it. His control percentage is 78.6 in that innings, which is not bad. But, yeah. you know, considering that he took three chances, if you look at the control yeah. percentage, it, if mm. you look at the top five people in the current cricket, yeah. that is. Top is Kane Williamson, 91.1. Hmm. Tom Latham is 88.8. Hmm. Steven Smith, maybe unsurprisingly, is control percentage of 88.3. Aiden Makram is 87.7. Yeah. And Cheteshwar Pujara has 87.2. These are the top five control percentages when the cutoff is 1,000 runs. Correct? Yes. So, yes. any any surprises there for you? I'm not surprised because they're all batsmen with excellent techniques. But right. technique doesn't guarantee score. Ah. You have an excellent technique, but your technique is always a tool to help you get runs. So right. Which is why everybody thinks Steve Smith doesn't have any technique. No, he has a technique. It helps him get runs. He wouldn't have scored so many runs without a technique. Of course. Everybody thought Sehwag doesn't have any technique because he doesn't 
move his feet. But he got all those runs. If you are playing in certain conditions, your technique evolves to play in those particular conditions. So control percentage is nice to know. It tells you something useful, but you should confuse it for actual ability of a batsman. So yeah, Gunnar may have gave, given three, three, four chances, but he's also facing a very fantastic bowling attack. If you ask me honestly, I cannot choose between whether Australia or New Zealand have the better bowling attack. Interesting, interesting talking point. I would say I'll I'll park this on the side because when it when we look at the lowest control percentages and lower control percentages are still uh, these are still in the 70s. So when you look at the lower uh, control percentages, you can look at Niroshan Dikwala 75.2, Quinton de Kock around 80, Johnny Best 80.1, and up to Dimuth Karunaratna who's 82.9. So these are still excellent control percentages. Out of 100 balls, they are in control for 82 of the balls they play. That's very nice. Right. Yes. These are all from um, January uh, 2017 to current. So it's, it's very interesting. No, I'm very interested also in finding out probably these these stats are never you know recorded. Mm-hmm. But what is the control percentage of somebody like Don Bradman and some of the greats in the yesteryears, even Viv Richards, you know, the, the every great in his era, maybe yeah. Sunny Gavaskar, Viv Richards, uh, yeah. P- Proctor or even Barry Richards, these people. I'm just curious because. Probably control percentage shows how much you are in control. See, control is not has nothing to say about technique. Huh? It, it's about even if you are hitting across the lane, if you are hitting it comfortably, that's you are in control, yes. right? Or if you're yes. just slogging, whatever that is called, slogging. Yeah. So it's it's still the same thing. So I agree with you in as much that technique is not very important. It is important in as much that it will let you stay in the crease because your task is to score runs. But outside of that, technique doesn't have a real big say. But no. then when you go on different conditions. Yes. For example, if you are in India, you may get away uh, by not playing a swinging ball well. But if you mm. go to England, they'll dissect you out. Where yeah. you know, even the most most accomplished of batsmen have struggled when uh, yeah. facing a swinging ball. So yes. on the other hand, places like Australia or South Africa, mm. and recently to a large extent in the last year or so, even West Indies, where the bounce is now going to be very good. So you have to also yeah. deal with the bounce factor. Mm. So there, how good you are against playing, uh, let's say, the horizontal bat shots. That's always mm. good. Right? Yeah. So just an interesting thought. One thought to add to the statistics that you mentioned, 1,000 ah. balls won't capture somebody who's struggling very badly in those conditions. So right. Did you say 1,000 runs or 1,000 balls? 1,000 runs. 1,000 runs. Ah, it won't capture somebody who has gotten out for scores of 5, 10, 3, 1, 0, 0 out, uh, through a course of a series. That person right. will have a horrible control uh, percentage and top order batsman, top order batsman against a good this thing. So, which is which is which is which is why which is why I think we have to be careful about how to make sense of control percentage, and uh, maybe it won't tell us too much if if we don't take context, if we don't take type of bowling attack into account, it may mislead us into what we are actually seeing. Of course, of course, I think that's that's totally a very relevant point because if you are not able to also take into account the type of bowling, if you're playing against a club attack, maybe nobody will have a bad. In no international batsman will have a bad control percentage. But if you're playing against an attack of the quality of South Africa or New Zealand or Australia, even England to a large extent and India, you would say, yes, probably the people are going to struggle. So that's a very good point. But when you put it across a thousand runs or let's say for a two or a three year period, you would imagine those things sort of even out. That is, each of these good batsmen would have played against the same set of attacks. Therefore, it's more or less evening out that, you know, it's not so bad. Might might even out, but uh, I am trying to remember when was the last time uh, New Zealand played India. It's been yes. a while. 
2018 or 2017 was it when they went there early in the year and they uh-huh. lost the tests badly but did yeah. well in the one dayers in the one dayers i think that was uh, that was it uh, but uh, and i mean that's that's that was, uh, it, it, it was one of those i think only two tests we played if i'm not mistaken exactly exactly i mean 2017 18 but yeah mm. that is that that is to do with uh, the control percentages but i think uh, it, it it an individual innings i don't think we can easily judge like that uh we'll have to look at uh, who all they played how, how many tests they played against who and if you mm-hmm. suppose think about a thousand runs over a two year period we haven't done very badly again going going given by number of runs scored also i i i would ideally like i would ideally like to plot this on a 4 by 4 sorry 2 by 2 graph number of right. runs scored and control percentage so plot all batsmen let's start mm-hmm. by plotting all batsmen right over a two year period then see what right. pattern uh, evolves indeed now but the person who has come up with this uh, statistical analysis yes rajesh of cricket for us probably done exactly the same thing so okay. you know there's a very nice article where he seems to have thought of exactly the same way that you said but having said all that it's still a fantastic metric to understand how yes. how good a batsman is yes. and also another thing you might you know sevak probably did not have a very high control percentage but who cares all okay. that mattered was he was scoring a lot of runs and scoring them at a very rapid rate that you know change the test match complexion very ra- very rapidly sometimes the end of the third end of the fourth day he used to make a big difference as far as indian chases or setting up a chase was concerned right so that that is something very important so moving on i think i'll park the discussion about new zealand versus australia for another time because that itself is something i think we can go into a yeah, lot of detail yeah but you know at least uh, this morning i read that you know bolt completed 250 wickets in tests yeah. and yeah. he's the third in his uh, country to do that yeah yeah right and also it looks like saudi is not very far off saudi has 240 plus wickets so i think two or three wickets behind indeed so what do you think of those two as a pair i mean are they are they as good as any out there now so let's quickly do that maybe i i i think they're as good as any they have they have like the right mix of speed and swing and also a certain level of maturity i mean 250 wickets tells you that they've been around for long enough they know how to mm. handle different conditions it's just that everybody underestimates new zealand everybody sort of doesn't give new zealand enough games that right. you don't feel that you know you, you you want to watch a saudi or a bolt play close to 100 tests if fitness permitting and all of that but yeah. i don't think they'll get that chance because new zealand plays only these two and three test series even india plays four test and five test series now but new zealand doesn't get to play this and i think we are we are entering into a new golden age of fast bowling just look at the name just look at the name starting from west indies you have kemar roach you have alzari joseph you have shannon gabriel england mm-hmm. has jofra archer and anderson and broad okay finishing careers india now right. has bukra shami yadav australia uh-huh. attinson hazelwood stark then right, uh, right? i mean I, i can just keep listing the names but of course of course kagis or abada we have abada needy uh, and uh, even of course stain just finished so yes even even in this time when you have such fantastic quality of fast bowlers mm. bolt saudi and wagner also stand out so that that also shows probably you know fast bowling is on the rise back again maybe in the 90s fast bowlers were uh, yes. you know not yes. as good yeah i i i mean i think 2010s to 2001 to 10 wasn't so wasn't such a great time for fast bowling but 90s and we had ambrose walsh wakar uh vakar and wasim and oh yeah yeah all of those greats were in the and of course west indies had uh, yeah, sorry i mentioned the west indies um, ambrose walsh then there was donald 
So mm. when you had such fantastic fast bowlers then, I think Magra was just starting out. So when you had such fantastic uh, fast bowlers, then now again it is making a comeback. So which is which is mm. very hard if you ask me. Interesting indeed. So that's a nice topic as well that we could probably go into another day. Now uh, let's go on to the next test, the third Ashes test that's going on currently in Headingley, mm. right? So in this case, England are in a bit of trouble. So just to summarize the scores, so yesterday, the first day of the game, Australia were bowled out for 179, thanks to a 6-4 by Jofra Archer. Yeah. But uh, following that, uh, England were probably a bit you know, confident going into today's game, hoping that they uh, set up a substantial enough lead. Yesterday was a bit stop, stop and start, a lot of rain. But today mm-hmm. was probably a very sunny day. But Australia bowled England for 67 with only one double-digit score, Jordan Lee making 12, Hazelwood taking a 5-4, and Lion bowled one over. They hardly occupied 27 overs, so just the three fast bowlers did all the bowling. And then in the second innings, Australia, right now it's the afternoon session, and uh, they are uh, 144. So let's say they have a very dominant hand. So Labush Kagni is playing on 36, and Matthew Wade is playing on 22, not out. And not a lot to write home about in the English attack. So... Is this unexpected lines for you that England are going to probably go 2-0 down? It is somewhat unexpected because I thought England will be able to handle Australia's bowling a little bit better. But uh, what we have seen is England are collapsing badly and in the batting. Because if you see the English batting lineup, when you have a batting lineup of Roy, Root, Stokes, Bairstow, no Butler in this test, but uh, and Butler... This is a batting lineup that is great for a nice flat batting track on the oval. Or if you prepare a nice uh, well-paced wicket with good bounce, this batting attack will destroy bowling attacks anywhere around the world. But give them a challenge like Leeds. Rainy, cloud-filled, swinging conditions in Leeds. And this is what happens. 67 all out. England used to do this to Australia. If you remember 2013 Ashes in past, uh, Broad and Anderson used to do this. Now, uh-huh. Cummins, Hazelwood and uh, this uh, Pattinson have done this to England. And I, I, I mean, if, if, if those of who, who, who watched the game or followed the highlights, they didn't do anything very special. It wasn't like Jofra Archer coming in and bowling 95 kilometers per hour Thunderbolts. It was very straightforward, line and length mm. bowling, bowling on off stump, moving a little bit here, a little bit there. Some balls would come inside and the batsman would get LBW. Some balls would move outside, batsman would give catch to the slips and get out. It was just such perfect old-fashioned bowling that England did not know what to do. And it's it's not coincidence. I was, I've been following George Dobell's writing on ESPN Cricket on England's batting troubles. Four years right. they said, we want to win the World Cup. Okay, good. Mm. They want the World Cup. But what the price they paid for it is that their test match batting has completely gone to the dogs. Their system was incentivized to produce stroke makers, attacking cricketers, people who will help you win the World Cup. They did. They helped them win the World Cup. But now, challenge like the Ashes, they're not able to handle difficult wickets. They're not able to handle challenging circumstances. So, I think this was a disaster waiting to happen. I just didn't expect it to happen so quickly. I didn't expect that. In within the three matches, first three matches of uh, Ashes, England Australia would have taken a the unbeatable 2-0 lead. I think even by the time this episode is out, I think this match. Will be over. <laughs> well, you know, you could be right. Anything can happen in cricket, of course, but it'll be it'll be such a miracle. It'll be such a miracle. It'll top Calcutta also, if you ask. Me. 
Absolutely. Looking that Australia also already have a 250 run lead. Yeah. And going into the fourth innings where, you know, they have even struggled to make 100 runs, it will be very tough. So, a couple of points. You are absolutely right that probably they incentivize stroke play and being more adventurous sort of uh, approach. Yeah. There is no grinding out where you grind out session after session, score 60, 65 runs, uh, concede one wicket at a time if required. You know, this sort of an approach is not tactic. But yeah. probably this lineup has only a few players capable of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. You have Joe Root who's sort of not doing his best. Maybe the captaincy is weighing him down. Yeah. So starting right at the top, when you open with a guy like, you know, Jason Roy, he's a hitter. Right, he's well. Sehwag was also a hitter, but he has hit two triple hundreds. So yes. that's that says enough about him. So, say Gale is a hitter, same thing. But look, he has enough big scores. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are other things to look at. It's the patience you have and the way yes. you you are still able to just stay there and take yes. a day out of the game. They don't have many people like that in that top six. You could say, you know, you have Bearstow, you have Butler, who are sort of two pieces in a pod who can hit out. Mm. You have at number four, Joe Denley. I don't know what he's doing because I have nothing against him. But yeah. probably somebody who's better equipped than him should be batting at four. Correct. Four is the slot of the best batsman. So, Joe Root probably in that team. Then you need a different number three. So, I would say their one opener, Rory Burns, is okay. He's ugly, but he can do the job. He's, in fact, done it for two innings out of four, let's say. But then maybe they need a different approach. So, the way I look at it, if you want to keep the... If you want to keep Jason Roy in the 11, he should probably go to number four, where he's away from the slightly newer ball. Right? He's not exposed to it. Correct. You're right. Exactly. That's one thing. But then there are other people. There's Dominic Sibley, apparently, who's uh, you know who's doing great in the England uh, County Championships this season. Mm-hmm. He's scored a bulk of runs. Then there was Ben Duckett who came and went, right, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some people could be revisited. Yes, yes. I'm, while we are recording this, I'm just seeing the uh, scorecard on Crickinfo. Marnus... Ah. Manos Labushain or Labush Kagni, however people pronounce his name, is on 37 of 110 balls. If 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 we say that he's like, what is this big deal? He just scored 37 of 110 balls. He's facing a charged-up archer. He's got, he's facing Broad, Wokes, and Leach and Stokes, and he's surviving. He's saying, whatever you do, I'm not getting out today. Mm-hmm. He's saying, I will play 200 balls for 50 runs if need be. I am not getting out today. I don't think there is any batsman. Due respect to Joe Root in the English batting lineup today who can do that. And even if they don't get somebody with a fantastic average, in they should be looking for someone in English county cricket who has this doggedness. Who has this doggedness to say, I don't care what happens, what my scoring rate is, what my strike rate is, what is happening at the other end. I mm-hmm. will just not get out. Find two batsmen like that. Your, their, mm-hmm. order will be, their batting order will be much stronger. They will be able to withstand bowling spells like this. So, and see, they have done this in the past. Uh, there was that famous guy, no? Uh, what's his name? Uh, David, uh, the white-haired uh, chap. I yeah, yeah, the banker who went to war. I remember the, the guy. Yeah, the, the banker who went to war. The, yeah, David, yeah. David Steele. David Steele. Uh, then when they, when they realized we don't have anybody capable of standing up to Lily and Thompson, they found this chap in his 30s. Looked like somebody's uncle came out to bat. But he did it. He had an amazing uh, ashes. So, which is why I think they need to be a little bit, they need to think a little bit more conservatively and say, look, we don't care if your average is 50, 60 or 70 in the first class cricket, county cricket. We want to see somebody who's capable of lasting 150 ball innings. How much ever he scores, we don't care. Mm, Can mm. can he consistently play 100 ball innings every innings after innings after innings? That is what they need. Right. Now, but look, there are other things as well. Uh, I think 
we should give a little bit of credit to how australia have played for example marnus labushkagnis he's replacing steven smith he's understudy so to say Yes. but he's he's done a very admirable job everybody yeah. thought without steven smith australia would not be the same force because that guy held them together right for two yeah. tests but that didn't didn't matter so marnus did the same thing on the last innings of the second test and now twice in two innings he's doing the same thing right he's holding them together yeah. and you're absolutely right so you take 150 balls out so probably you know if i were langer and i would be talking to the australian team at the break of the second innings i would say guys if you bat 75 to 80 overs the match is ours Right. Matches are. That's it. That's you it. would take yeah, two and a half runs an over is already enough, and yes. you have a 110 run lead. So yeah. that's it. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting thought process. But how about you know Hasib Hamid? If you remember the guy who went to India as a teenager, scored a 50, and then now is apparently you know he's been released by Lancashire. I read. I don't know if you read. Yeah, it. yeah. I think it was some combination of loss of form, loss of confidence. Actually, it can happen to young players. It, I mean, it can happen mm. to young players that you know, once you're dropped and you're sort of not sure how to get your way back into the team, especially after that injury, how to get your technique and everything back. It can happen. So I don't know. I mean, I I don't know how they're going to find the next big batting. He he showed that potential in India. He showed that potential that he could be somebody who could bat long and carefully and you know hold an end together. Right. So it looks like. Um... Yeah, they lead a bit of an overhaul of the top six. Uh, for me, Bearstow and Butler are too much alike. Only one of them belongs in the eleven, frankly. Yes. Right? You need yes. a very conservative or a, you know, um, like what Ajinkya Rahane did. If I can yes. quickly take a leaf out of what Ajinkya Rahane did in the game against West Indies yesterday, India were 25 for three. Yes. And this guy is actually a counter-attacking number five or mm. number six, right? Mm. But then he he completely let that go and he he yeah. sort of uh, you know continued to bat. Uh, just i think he 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 took 40 balls for two runs or something yeah before lunch he let he let rahul do all the attacking he said right. you want to play your drives in your cuts i'm not going to stop you i am going to play as slowly as possible and make sure i don't get up absolutely so the other thing is you know also the coaching mindset so i think trevor bellis is um, let's say tenure is going to come to an end right so maybe after that they look for a more uh, old school coach who who will also look to inculcate back in england uh, Test match mindset. Uh, they wanted to win a uh, World Cup. They have done it. Yes. But probably, what about the maybe a fatigue? You see, the the core group of these players were the same players who played the World Cup, right? Yes. Be the batters, bowlers, everybody, right? Except Broad and Anderson, they are new. And unfortunately, Anderson is missing. So only Broad, and he's doing his bit. Broad is doing his bit really well. But the core group remains the same. Maybe there is a fatigue also creeping in here. It's possible, but these are being players. See. professional players it's part of the job i don't think anybody anymore can complain more than fatigue what i'll say is the hangover you won the world cup you had a tremendous reception you had this high of winning this tournament the nobody uh, you hadn't won ever in such dramatic circumstances now you're supposed to turn your body down a few notches to do the hard grind not quick quick exciting and you're done with it So I think that little bit of recalibration hasn't happened properly. And again, professional cricketers, I understand first match they lost, fair enough, can happen. Three matches into the Ashes, they can't do that as an excuse. Agreed, agreed. Yes, bunch of nice thinking points as far as England are concerned. Yeah. So going further, now we already brought it up. So India were in a bit of trouble yesterday. So on the first day of the test, 
West Indies are really, they're really a force to reckon with back home in tests. It's a lot to do with probably how Jason Holder has molded the team in his own, let's say, image. I'm really happy that West Indies are competing really well. But now, India were really forced to dig really deep. They're the number one team going there. And with the fresh, you know, World uh, Test Championship starting up, they don't want to lose the first test or something. And they were 25 for three. So, fantastic bowling by Kimar Roach and also Gabriel, Shannon Gabriel. I, I, I like Gabriel very much, by the way. So, uh, then India had to dig deep. Rahane 81. Then a lot of lower-order contributions, middle-lower-order contributions. Vihari 32. Pant 24. Uh, Jadeja 58. And then Sharma 19. So, this morning they started at uh, 206 for uh, 4. But then, unfortunately, Pant got out. So, Pant could not capitalize. Uh, but then Jadeja was still there. Right? And they are able to take it to 297. Thanks a lot to Ishan Sharma, who like hung in there for a while. And then... Yeah. They basically kept Jadeja company to get him to 58 and India to 297. 300 is a reasonable score on this pitch, I think. Yeah, and it's still early days. I think West Indies, just as we are recording, West Indies just lost one wicket, 37 ah. for one. See, we'll have to see. I think we'll know at the good old adage of don't judge a pitch until both teams have batted once, at least once on it. I think will tell us the true state of this pitch and how uh, West Indies cope and how good India's score actually is. So let's see. This, mm-hmm. is, this test still has some time to go, and hopefully we should get another interesting and exciting. I mean, that's the standard now. No, all tests are interesting and exciting. The, a draw is so exceptional that we're like, oh, this match ended in a draw, and most draws are ending in a very tight finish also. Indeed. Yeah. So this is a positive, right? We can take that. You know, the limited overs in the T20 cricket have bought on that more tests have now results, and also making a test championship means people will push for a win. Teams will push for a win, and that's a good thing, right? Absolutely, absolutely. A couple of talking points from this test: uh, India West Indies first test that Ashwin was left out for uh, Jadeja. What are your thoughts on this, Alok? I I I still think that was a huge mistake. Yes, Jadeja's 58 runs are very useful and valuable. But uh, mm-hmm. even if Ashwin had scored 20-25 runs, which we know he's capable of, it would have been mm-hmm. enough, quite honest. Because right. what Ashwin brings is his wicket-taking abilities. Uh, he has, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he has a fantastic record, if not one of the best records of Indian bowlers, current Indian bowlers in West Indies. Absolutely right. Right? And uh, yes. he, he is somebody who has that hunger to take wickets. He's not, he will not bowl conservatively to try and stop runs. He will try and take wickets. And with to back up Pumra and Shami and Ishant, I think it would have been a perfect perfect complement to the bowling attack. It would have been, I think, a very fully rounded bowling attack and would have worried West Indies. Now, Jadeja is a good bowler. I'm not saying he's a bad bowler. He may do well in this test also. But I think we made a bad bargain. I think it shouldn't come down to the fact that we were unable to take two or three lower order wickets because on a wearing pitch, fast bowlers are not having impact. Jadeja's uh, uh, not being able to have an impact. We needed that little bit of bite from uh, a bowler like Ashwin to take those wickets. That shouldn't happen. But I still feel this was a miscalculation. Against a stronger team, it would have been, mm. it would have gone very badly for us. West mm. Indies, yes, they're good on their home surface, but I still think India are the favourites for this. Right. No, I agree with you. But if you look at the bigger picture, Ashwin, I was seeing in this article, right? So he has a very good, let's say, number. Uh, he has very good numbers against West Indies. So he, all his 400s he has scored against West Indies. So he bat, bats, bat average about 50, mm-hmm. right? And then 11 tests he has played and he has taken 60 wickets. So that's again fantastic. His bowling average is 21 and change. So when you look at that, this is not a guy you would want to drop. But then 
when you look at a recent trend in the last two test series ashwin started the series against australia did a good bit in the first test but then he lost fitness and then he couldn't come back into the team kuldeep yeah. yadav took his place and took a 5 4 in the last test right yeah. then when you look at how it happened in england the same thing he started the series mm. but then he couldn't finish it because he was injured in the third test and because mm. of his injury he couldn't bowl really well and as a result third fourth test was lost and in fifth test he was not playing same yeah. thing so maybe this is sort of trend that they have noticed and if anything maybe they want to keep him fresh for the last two tests maybe in this pitch they see there is more pace mm. so they say in the next two tests when it's a bit low and slow where it suits you as a spinner we'll get get to win this is one thought process mm. the other thought process is he sort of fallen out of favor of the team ethos that virat kohli builds around himself as a captain right this guy is a, still a bit old school he doesn't have that beard sports a little bit of a south indian tummy Yes. Uh, but as a bowler and as a cricketer not a lot to say against him see he's still polishing his skills in county cricket and he's done really well yeah so i think he still i mean if this was to transform into him falling out slowly from favor and not playing tests too much outside india that would be a mistake because he's a much improved player up abroad these days ashwin right yes. and his batting always has that additional dimension that he brings so for me i think this is just a you are absolutely right could be a miscalculation at worst and you know uh, also they like the control jadeja gives probably yes right he he keeps banging in on a length and at a correct line and he keeps the batsman under pressure so that gives your pacers a chance to rotate on the other end. yes probably that's what they are looking at ashwin is also still a attacking bowler and yeah finger spinner he still attacks so that's he something still. they don't need probably on this pitch yeah that's one talking point for me anything else to add for you on that that specific debate nothing nothing much i mean i again it it if they have told him specifically that we want to preserve you for the last two tests or whatever then it's okay that's a it's a strategic call you are using resources in the most efficient way possible mm. it's fine so if you take a slight you know reduction here and there it is okay it's manageable what i'd be worried about is scenario 2 you know what you just right. mentioned right if 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 the sense is that we can't trust this fellow to last three tests without getting injured and as because his fitness levels are generally lower than what is expected then then there is an issue of fitting within the ethos and trusting the player and that's 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 to me is a more dangerous situation i hope okay. it's not but we can't rule it out to be fair we can't rule it out mm-hmm. so we'll have to see we'll have to see how this test plays out and uh, what uh, call they take for the next test i see gavaskar was uh, hugely angry with this move mm-hmm. and, uh, i can see where he's coming from but we i think need to give a little bit of credit to jastri and uh, kohli but uh, even then I, i i still feel that on this front they may have miscalculated unless unless it's part of a well thought out three test strategy that you know we want to preserve ashwin for these two uh, this occasion and not that occasion unless it's clear from that i think mm. there is not is not the best move possible all right next point well i mean the right thing they did in this case for i would go i was going to say was like rohit sharma hanuma vihari and ajinkya rahane you know they have these three people ajinkya rahane only plays tests these days and he's also sort of just like pujara not very much in the limelight so there might have been a temptation to probably rest rahane and have both uh, you know sharma who sort of in the other teams all the time and vihari so yeah. one of only two of these three would play yeah. so for me leaving rohit sharma was the right choice so this is the let's say the horses for courses or uh, people for the right format sort of thing so rahane comes in because he's the test wise captain but also he has the let's say the nous and the capacity to play out time yeah. and vihari is like you are you have invested in vihari now for whatever yeah. reason karun nair has been forgotten 
that's mm. something we'll park i think but with vihari you invested time so he needs to be given more chances and he has the technique also he showed that when he scored 32 in some you know he kept uh, some uh, in testing times out especially with the gabriel bowling i thought he did well there so he's also proving the point so what are your thoughts on this i think we'll need to see two more tests i will see to see at least two more innings worth of batting because mm-hmm. this is one of those times and see those of us who have grown up watching cricket for 30 almost 20 30 years now this level of riches is very confusing for us we don't right. know <laughs> to have to have like to choose between six world class bowling options and seven world class batting options is a little bit okay <laughs> how do we do this and there is i i don't think there is any one immediate right or wrong answer to be quite honest it will depend i think to see how rahat of course rahane was a good call we have to see how bihari faces up in the second innings and uh, what is the ultimate outcome of this test and whether they want to balance things up i somebody who, i forget who it was it may probably gavaskar only was suggesting that rohit sharma mm. have to open i don't think so i think rahul and agarwal should be given enough time it's not like they have failed individually all together they should be made a consistent opening pair because they've opened in the past they have experience of opening in the tests in the past so let them be then we can rotate the middle order as and when required mm. depending on who's in form who's not in form who's injured who's not injured conditions who will have to survive whether we will need somebody to score freely so i'm okay with that rotation i it depends on the circumstances but i i'm not too invested in whether it should be these two or those two right well when it comes to the opening slot there is one other player who will be available after number 15th right prithvi shaw prithvi shaw yes. yes so maybe once he comes back you'll also see the same kind of maybe rotation required unless one of these two have not performed well enough that they are out of favor by then so yes. india will play at least one more series right probably the south africa series uh, will also happen at least one or two tests will happen by the time shaw's um, ban ends from bcci so I don't know if they will send him straight to the Indian team after his ban is ended. No, probably he'll already be asked to play one or two Ranji games. You're probably yeah. right. So the South Africa series will also go by. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. But for me, you're absolutely right. We should also credit Shastri and the backroom staff for building this, you know, the squad of 15, 16 players, enough bowlers and enough batsmen, the depth. Yeah. And there is always a next cab of the rank, be it bowling or batting. Yes. Right? Yeah. The last uh, point I wanted to discuss as a talking point was Saha versus Pant. So what are your thoughts on this? I'm still not very convinced by Pant's keeping, and I think your primary skill, what you're being chosen for, you should clear a basic high standard for it. I mean, that doesn't make sense, but let me clarify. If you're as a batsman or as a bowler, you know there are about four other batsmen or three other bowlers or some such number around you. As a wicketkeeper, you're the only wicketkeeper. As a wicketkeeper, you're the only player who is in play every single ball of an innings right either the ball is definitely coming towards you or will come towards you as a wicket keeper mm. so to have to be the wicket keeper of a team the standard that your skill should be has a very high threshold beyond that if you're a good batsman fantastic i don't think anybody's qualities as a batsman make up for their failings as a keeper and i am not convinced i think saha is still the more natural wicket keeper and to me having seen cricket i can say that the way a wicket keeper moves you can tell mm. who's a natural keeper who's not dhoni right. 
became that keeper during the course of his international career if you saw his initial matches he was terrible he was, right. he was again being chosen for his batting is just his batting was so phenomenal mm-hmm. i don't think rishabh pant is there yet i still think that you need a keeper who may be competent with the bat that's enough but that high standard that's expected of a keeper i am i feel rishabh pant is not meeting well okay uh, i don't completely disagree with you there but again i think so some people get the chance to mature in a domestic level yeah. then you build up from there then you come and play like people like kasi probably other people right but in some cases you show early promise and you get a chance to come into the team and then build your skills from there so pant is the probably the latter category but yeah. i'm absolutely also not concerned about his batting but maybe he's not yet an international level test level keeper let me put it like this right? that's that's why i was saying high standard yeah yeah so but saha i think is such a better keeper when it comes to pure glove work saha is so much better yes. right so and having picked him and seeing that he's 34 or whatever he's now picked as an understudy to pant for me it's not a problem that he's picked as an understudy but i would have preferred him in place of pant as the keeper simply because i think uh, saha's career is going to end sooner than pants but not only that he was the incumbent he was injured yes. out and one injury led to another he lost 18 months time whatever yes. but he was the incumbent so when the incumbent is back it's not like pants has already played 20 tests and is already really established as a cricketer in tests but it's not the case so that means maybe he still he still should have gotten a chance saha for me that's my thinking yeah right? you saying something no that's all i was just agreeing with you on that point Mm-hmm. So these were some of the interesting, let's say, talking points, and I'm very curious how the series will. What is your prediction for the India West Indies uh, Test series? I I will stick my neck out and say India to win two one. All right. So three tests, three results. That's the first thing. Yes. So two one for India. I'm going to say two nil to India. Uh, I'm going to stick my neck even further out. <laughs> one of the tests is going to be a draw owing to some uh, rain and stuff. I'm going to say two nil to India, but that's a brave call that Vishnu is will not win a single match. Let's see how it goes. Now, going further, if you were to look at some of the news from outside of the cricket field, mm-hmm. right? So, Mohammad Shahzad, the Afghanistan keeper, has been suspended for one year. So, initially, Afghan cricket board suspended him indefinitely, mm-hmm. but now they have sort of come to the agreement with him, maybe that the ban will be for one year. That's the impo- imposition of the ban. So there are multiple things going on in the background. I don't know if you have been following this story, Alok. I have been sort of following it, but not very closely. Ah, he's, ah. he's been complaining about being left out, or he is not being injured. They've been talking about his fitness, about him not turning up to play for Afghanistan in the in the domestic tournament, not staying right. within Afghanistan. That was a source of controversy that he would live right. in Pakistan and not uh, stay in Afghanistan. then he went off to play uh, the, this thing tournament uh, even though he's uh, uh, he was not fully fit mm-hmm. there have been multiple controversies but i i mean i don't see this ban as totally a bad thing i think the afghanistan cricket board is trying to be more professional uh, i think that first generation of players the ones who took it from nothing to test status i think of them only nabi and asghar are still there and i think they need to build the ethos mm. of the next generation your rashid khan generation of uh, cricketers right so right i think maybe shahzad was a misfit in that uh, i think shahzad was not fully fitting into that we have to now be more professional we had a great time we did amazing things but it can't just be that we let the players run the show 
So I think mm-hmm. that, that's where they are trying to draw the line. And I'm okay with that. I think uh, professional setups have to be run professionally, and uh, then that's fine. Right, right. No, I agree with you. So also, he's not the let's say the shining example of a body image when it comes to international cricketers. No, Mr. It's, it's not. It's not. And I have seen him uh, up and close. I've had the opportunity. He came to the Anglian cricket ground here, VRA. And I saw the Afghani team practice, and I saw I got a chance to watch an international. Well, he doesn't look even as fit as the most fit, uh, unfit club cricketer. Actually, he has a huge tummy and huge backside, and whatnot. Yeah. But look, when you look at his performances, he used to always be able to hold up. I was always surprised he was able to keep for 50 overs, come back, bat at the yeah. top of the order. So that is there. The other thing, you are absolutely right. They are trying to professionalize their uh, outfit. They are able to. They are trying to make it more. So being. Uh, whether being participating in the local domestic tournaments or uh, when it comes to residency back in afghanistan all of these things there is an issue there that you know uh, this guy grew up in peshawar on the other yeah. side of the border and uh, hindukushan his family is there his wife is from peshawar region yes right so for him to upstick and go back to afghanistan given there may be a certain amount of uh, instability there might not be the easiest thing for him that's right so for this generation of cricketers who are still sort of you know who grew up in the camps in of pakistan and what not mm-hmm. maybe certain amount of uh, flexibility may have to be given if you remember i don't know if you listen that that yeah? generation is slowly ending we know that max 2 years they may ah, play ah. some right so i would have understood they had another say 6 or 7 years to play yes then give flexibility but 2 mm-hmm. years i think they would have lasted anyway and it's right. time to set the expectations of the next generation to say whatever's played out is good we expect you to be better Right. we expect you to play to a much higher standard even by the standards of the greater generation of afghanistan cricketers agreed well i i, I sort of see that but in the test team they may they may face some issues see ikram ali khil the guy who uh, was keeping or was brought yeah. into the uh, world i've not seen him be a really good keeper and the other guy i forget his name he played the first Absurd. ever test that afghanistan Absurd. played ah afsar zazai Afzal Zazai. So I don't think he is up to the mark either when it comes yeah. to Asghar Zazai. I don't know really. So I don't know if they have really a ready-made keeper. So I know there are issues here, but would you suspend your best keeper or the first-choice keeper uh, for a principle ahead of results? I don't know. Is that something to consider? I think so. Yes, because uh, at some point you will have to throw these guys into the deep end uh, and. i think even if it means maybe one or two it's not afghanistan doesn't play 15 matches that they can uh, easily uh, make up for it and even if it means one or two losses mm mm it's because a team game is very hard to say because of our keeper not being good we lost these games i'd say that let them get the chance now afghanistan right. plays what maybe four maybe five matches against bangladesh and stuff and other countries in the next two years let mm. these guys get the chance and afghanistan my my understanding of the trajectory is afghanistan fails and learns they got thrashed by india in the first test they mm-hmm. learned mm-hmm. how to play in the second test they right right hollitly beaten the first time they played at the international level next mm-hmm. time they came back and got better they right. they have that hunger to learn they have that hunger to they, they have no fear of failure mm-hmm. they have no fear mm-hmm. of failure they like i may not be good enough but tomorrow i'll try and i'll be a little bit better than the last time the attitude if they can engender to say nobody can take their place for granted just because you played for 10 years i think that will make for a much better
Agreed. No, but I totally agree. I was playing the devil's advocate, so I'm also uh, in favor of processes over you know special treatment and so on. So processes should be in place, and that's important. And I also agree when you see them, they're so much. They play with so much heart on the field. It gives you a lot of pleasure as a fan of yeah. cricket, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So and their their growth is something phenomenal. So that's something we can anyway discuss for a long time. So that's fantastic as well. So uh, that was one interesting topic. The other one, um, Srishant's ban has been reduced to seven years. So he was banned in 2013 and it was a life ban. But then one of the high courts upheld it saying uh, it is right. Then another one said it's quashed it saying it is wrong. So Supreme Court has actually quashed the other decision. So he's been now uh, probably allowed to play in BCCI. um, No, he's banned in 2020. His ban is a seven-year ban retrospective from 2013. The issue, and across three courts, uh, two levels in the Kerala High Court and once in the Supreme Court, is they found fault with the BCCI's decision-making. This is not so much about whether Srishant did something right or wrong. I don't think anybody fundamentally disagrees on that point. Of course, the criminal trial fell apart. Now nobody's Mm. criminally responsible. Right. Uh, that is a much, much higher standard in law. But what the Kerala High Court, I wrote about this for scroll, I think, one and a half years ago when the first judgment came out. Ah, interesting. I've not read this. All right. I'll, I'll see if I can share the link. Uh, maybe we can, can go out with the podcast. Perfect. I talked about the BCCI's decision-making process. They take it so casually. See, I can understand if it is a local club. You want to discipline some member of a club. It's okay. Nobody expects you to follow every last word of the law. But BCCI is not anybody. You're dealing with some of the best paid sportspersons in India. You have access to resources. No, I mean, globally, very few sports organizations have access to. You have the best legal talent at your beck and call. You still can't follow basic procedures. And that's the real, that is my problem with this whole affair. That Mm -hmm. this guy has been caught. And nobody here is saying that Srishant is some clean as driven snow person that has unfairly been punished. He did make that mistake. He was guilty of misconduct. But if you don't follow basic processes, if you don't follow basic procedures, you're only showing how amateurish you're running as an organization. So, which is why I think, I hope that at least this, they shouldn't see this as, aha, it's okay, the Supreme Court has upheld our finding, it's all fine. Mm. It's just that this thing, I don't think there was too much public sympathy for Srishant. But I can imagine if that public sympathy changes. I can right. imagine some player thinks this is how shoddily they do anything. I can get away with anything. So I think BC says, again, a lot of water has passed under the bridge since Srishant was found uh, first guilty in the 2013 or 14 or 15 sometime. Hmm. Uh, and I think hopefully if they have put in better systems, now they have an ombudsman. Ombudsman has imposed the penalty. Ombudsman is a retired Supreme Court judge. So if they have if they have now started to take it seriously, I think that's a good outcome. I think more than whether Srishant is banned for seven years or ten years or life ban or whatever, if the BCCI learns to take these things seriously, that you have to start functioning like a serious professional sports body and not somebody's personal fiefdom, uh, I think that is like the really big uh, takeaway. In terms of professionalism, in terms of how they you know, come to terms with uh, some players breaking rules. Even this latest, uh, they are being uh, allowed to come under the NADA yes. umbrella is also sort of a fiasco, right? They should have been under NADA 10 years ago. I don't know what was going on there. You know, I, I don't think 
I mean, I don't want to raise unnecessary aspersions, but um, we discussed this in our Cricket Kannadiga podcast in the last episode we put out. Uh-huh. I think there is more to this Prithvi Shaw story. Right, right. I, I mean, we've gotten a version of the events. Uh, to me, they're not complete. They may have mentioned what they, what he was found guilty of, how they found out, what was the procedure followed, how they imposed penalty, all of that. To mm-hmm. me, something is wrong about that story, which I don't know if we've gotten the full truth. To me, a player who has played at the international level, if he does not have the basic common sense to understand, don't go to a medicine shop and take medicine simply because your father told you, your mother told you, mm-hmm. then you have such a... I mean, Shane Wan's example is there. So many episodes exactly. example is there. Exactly. Either BCCI's own procedures for informing players is very bad, is very... And because mm-hmm. Sri Shaw was not the only one. There were at least two other players who were tested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which means BCCI's BCCI's procedures were so bad, or this guy has a discipline issue. Right. So neither of which neither of which has really come out in this particular scandal. I think maybe we'll know the truth in the months ahead if maybe some reporters are digging into the story properly and trying to find out more. But on this point about taking these things seriously as a professional body, you should have exactly. They should have been under NADA ten years ago. Player, players should be afraid of these things. Because you are being paid mm. millions of dollars for, you know, on the belief that people believe that you are playing to the best of your abilities without any unfair means. And you can't risk the reputation of the sport, of the body, of the nation or whatever it is by doing things like this. So, that's why I think this, I hope at least that if the truth comes out, BCCI can show that no, it was not really our fault or you know, we have put in place the procedures or we'll be better the next time. But this mm-hmm. is a, this is an issue with me for the BCCI. It's not about who made how much money or whether it puts cricket or not. Or this functioning as a professional body, taking your work seriously enough to do this right, that is the issue of BCCI. Right. Look, I mean, they're giving him a fine or a, giving him a backdated ban. He actually yeah. played, after testing, he played in the IPL. I don't know how that should have been possible. So, yeah, that, that's something I don't want to go into right now. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's a lot to discuss. I'll also listen to your latest uh, Cricket Kanadiga podcast episode. Let's see how that goes as well. I'm very curious about it. Yeah. All right. So, uh, some interesting points to discuss and quite a lot. We can go into a lot of detail, right? Said. So, another thing, uh, I, I remember you were the super fan for RCB, right? Um, yeah. With the One Tip One Hand podcast. So, uh, they have changed their uh, coaching staff. There is a director of cricket in Mike Hessen and a head coach in mm-hmm. Simon Cattis. What are your thoughts on this for the RCB? Uh, there is only one question before Mike Hessen. And <laughs> question ah. is, has a very simple answer. The question yeah. is, should Kohli be the captain of the team? The answer is no. If yeah. Mike is capable of answering that question and following up on that answer, this is a superb change in personnel. If he is not capable of asking and answering this question or following up on the answer, this is a total waste of everyone's time. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I mean, in, in a sense, in the sense, Kohli's yeah. failures as a captain are masked at the national level by the quality of players around him. Right. And even then, even then, there is a reason Kohli struggles to uh, win crucial semifinals, crucial finals games. It's mm-hmm. about keeping, it's about keeping that calm, keeping that serenity in the face of pressure that what a Kane Williamson can do, what a Joe Root did or what even a Steve Smith could do to keep that calm or a Mispa, best example, to see, to keep that calm when you right. know it's a crunch situation 
and decision making it's one thing see a lot of batting can be instinctual a lot of batting you don't have time to think about it but my grouse against kohli has been that he thinks too much firstly he thinks too many different things doesn't know which is the right thing to do and under pressure he can't clear out all the extraneous thoughts and make a decision and i think that and when in ipl when he doesn't have that quality of player around him to be able to take charge of the situation and win it for him captaincy gets exposed very bad so all personal changes mm. are not very good only right. one question before team director mike has well does he have the power to remove kohli from captaincy that's that's going to be a fantastic uh, thing for me to watch out as well and for all it, the cricket fans no, it's not power if you are if you are the team owner of rcb you don't want to give your team director the power to remove your star player you want to tell him if you think he should be removed come and tell us and i think that culture mm. unfortunately is not really well developed in our country right. uh, of telling that somebody rich and powerful and famous should not be doing that job if if they have understood that mike hessen is capable of saying this and mike hessen doesn't have anything to lose by saying no i don't think kohli should be captain then it's fantastic but if he is just going to be there to validate everything kohli does and then one year get fired after a terrible season once again and this whole exercise is wasted all right let's see you know if he can bring that new thought process and also maybe the tough um, accountability that is he's famous yeah. for actually hessen Let's see. Without uh, that, maybe you're right. RCB may continue to struggle for another five years, right? Yeah. Let's see how that goes. Oh. All right. Another uh, thought you brought in, Mr. Bowlhug. So uh, you know, I'm also a very big fan of his thought process and his philosophy and what he did with Pakistan team. And mm-hmm. he's now maybe a second coming as a coach of Pakistan. Is he ready for it? Do you think? Good players don't necessarily make good coaches, uh, or great players likewise great coaches. it's uh, see one thing that he brings to the table is a stature that pakistan need, cricket team needs somebody of stature to keep the team together which as a captain he was able to do you had very strong characters in the dressing room he was able to keep them together it depends on what his terms of reference are pakistan cricket is in a slightly weird phase they don't have that kind of explosive talent coming through yet uh their bowling isn't as strong as it used to be mom kami room they were putting a lot of hopes on is not showing i mean is not proving to be that kind of next level talent that say a bumrah or an archer or a ingidi or a you know a rabada are showing to be he's a good bowler he's an excellent bowler full control of line length seam i right. expected much more of him so they're in a very vulnerable position otherwise i think world cup also their eventual position flattered them a little bit i think that uh, they were ended up fifth right if i'm not mistaken absolutely yeah. yeah i think that was a little bit flattering to pakistan because honestly pakistan sri lanka west indies showed the same level of performance and efficiency it could have gone up and down it could have changed anyway depending on the outcome of one match here or one match there so right. which is why i think it's in a very sensitive time that he's taking over and he has the stature to hold the team together just is that what they need now is a question that is worth asking and i am not sure of that answer well i mean it is not clear that whether he'll take over so i think okay. given how pakistan cricket is run if he wants it he can take it over i think oh yes absolutely 
but i think he himself has not commented on it he says i'm still thinking about it so that itself shows the maturity in that man and the process that he believes in right yes. so i really hope you know if he feels he's ready he should take it over but if not they have enough other big names that are trying to get in and with wasim khan there the former chief executive of leicester share mm-hmm. uh, that they have brought in there'll be probably more accountability and more process driven you know sort yeah. of approaches going further so i'm i'm a big fan of pakistan cricket and i really hope you know the strong characters in the dressing room will not go away yeah. so even when back in the day we had mehta versus yeah indeed yeah yeah imran versus uh, mehandad whatever it's always the case you're absolutely right so uh, you will need a person who's i don't know if they are ready for a, to appoint one person as a captain like they have captains who are settled like they have uh, sarfaz as a captain who settled but would you have like a um, background coach who'd stay in the background like i don't know like kirsten did for india or fletcher did for india not would for that pakistan. be not for pakistan right right it, it's culturally a very different team from the indian team of even the 2010 11 whatever culturally it's a different team all right going further uh, another nice thing to talk about your favorite uh, bcci is uh, they have appointed rathor as the assistant batting coach in place of uh, bangar mm-hmm. and uh, shridhar the fielding coach and arun the bowling coach have been retained any yeah. thoughts on that not really i still think uh, it's not in, in india's problems if there are any are not really tactical it's not that our batsmen don't know how to play this or don't know how to play that they have shown they capable of playing on all circumstances and all situations mm-hmm. they need people who are capable of reading circumstances reading situations somebody to sit with kohli and say if this happens this is what you should do or plan plan ahead plan a b c d e f g it's not enough to go and say okay i'll try this if this doesn't work i'll try this that's not enough that's not enough at the international level we need okay. the kind of strategic thinking which will say look this is probably what the english plan is or rather australian plan is this is how it looks the australia were greatly weakened we caught caught a weakened australia won a series there but england a series which we should have won 3-1 i think we lost 4-1 exactly exactly agreed right so i think uh, in that sense i i mean i don't have too much thoughts on this changing batting coach fielding coach and they can all see they're all great for implementing an overall vision and strategy that if you mm. say that this is how we expect our batsmen to bat they'll help the batsmen bat that way right now at international level batsmen know how to bat they are not right. choosing if you want to make the small kinds of changes which will help you bat in certain circumstances maybe they're qualified maybe they're good enough to do that but right. you can't say that we will do whatever for strategy and hope that somehow our coaches are good enough to fix our batsmen i don't think that works that agree with you so the, again it's about you know planning ahead and going through scenarios what will happen when the opposition is 400 for 2 versus what will happen when the opposition is 40 for 2 exactly. and how you will react and what will happen when there is a period of play 8 over play 6 over play when you are not your plans are not going according to how you yeah. want it is there a plan b plan c which bowler you bring where you will set the field see at that level probably they have the capacity to execute the plans if yeah. you need to bowl to your field you will you are an international bowler right so not like you are a club bowler so we see day in and day out we are not able to do it very effectively but at that level they do so yes. probably it's about planning at the next level right yeah. thinking yeah. ahead in series and so i i do remember kumble when he did his uh, interview for the coach of india he had presented a plan of how he would approach series all the way like a year long oh wow so that they are already there i'm thinking so if yeah. this indian team is now playing in west indies they are already 
probably finalizing the plan of how they want to approach the south africa series and this is probably a feature already in most international teams so they are yeah. already cricket analysts working back in the background giving them footage of bowlers footage of batsmen that they need or they, that they request so this is a sort of approach that most teams do take yeah. but it's about also being able to react to a yeah. changing circumstance making a long term plan but changing the direction micro changes or whatever you may call them in directionality that's also probably something so you are right uh, the backroom staff is good for me i agree that probably arun has done a very good job with the faster bowlers and you can see the change and uh, that's good and shridhar look the indian team is performing really well as a fielding unit in all the three formats and that should continue so continuity is not a bad thing there for me last thing i don't know why rathor was chosen ahead of bangar because i've heard really good things about bangar he's been the assistant coach for five years now batting coach let's say right so that's that came as a bit of a surprise for me but uh, when when you look at it overall you can still say maybe it's still okay that maybe it's time for a change for example so maybe it's a good thing right so yeah. let's see how that goes yeah and always it's it's always good to get a little bit of fresh thinking a bit of fresh perspective exactly uh, exactly changing circumstances yeah i mean he was he was a very good batsman at the domestic level he was in fact a stalwart right for punjab for over a decade or so rathor so why not he was he didn't have such a great international career but that's okay yeah, so i think he has a lot of experience there i think that's all these of rathor are colored by the fact that in the 1996 india england tour every ah. got 50 or 100 every test match he played miserably <laughs> okay okay yeah Yeah, well, one of those cases where you are not able to transition to the highest level, the achievements you do, or the you know the things you are able to bring at the county level, the county level, right? Uh, we'll see how that goes. I mean, I'm also not very bothered about this small change. So the last point for outside the field today, uh, Amy Sethatwait, the New Zealand skipper, the women's New Zealand skipper, is going to take a, a break from cricket to have a kid. So they have this women's master agreement that uh, they have introduced where. they are going to get their base pay even if they have to take a maternity leave so she's going to take a maternity leave to have a kid and that's a fantastic thing to think and uh, is that is that something other countries also should bring to their kids they should and I, but i think it'll take time for the reason that i think new zealand were ahead of the every other country in terms of how quickly their game became professional india mm. and england uh, right. roughly in that order for countries with fewer resources or where the women's game does not attract as much attention and money yet it'll take some time now it's possible to say for pcci uh, to just allow everything and do everything but it takes time to develop the kind thing professionalism is not just about i pay you more you perform better it's about also creating that accountability structure of saying if you don't right. want and helping you cope with that accountability structure knowing that you know your entire life is not going to go from 100 to 0 just because mm. you know particular choice so right. it will take time new zealand also didn't get to this position overnight and it it comes at the top of a pyramid it can't be that you have an inverted pyramid where all the benefits and the money go to the 15 players who play for india 15 women who play for india mm. uh, create a pyramid so that the best 15 get the best but it is not so vastly different from what say somebody working in uh, playing in the domestic tournament in uh, women's cricket in india is getting at the moment so i think there is a case for investing more resources 
but let us see something like this as a consequence of investing resources and as a target of resources. Right. I mean, uh, as far as Indian cricket is concerned, women's cricket, they are a bit behind the curve for sure. For example, why they don't yet have a women's IPL or I know it's it's a double thing. If, yeah. if, would you put the cart ahead of the horse or whatever? That's sort of a question because introducing it would probably immensely popularize the women's cricket and start driving the money in, right? Yeah. Why did they delay all these years is one of the questions I have. See, women's IPL, I think we should also keep one thing in mind about the success of the IPL itself. And not too many people talk about it. Mm. It's also to do with the quality of uh, India's domestic structure. There's a well, yes, you may complain about too many teams or whatever, but the top 8 to 10 teams are not that far away from each other in terms of quality. I don't know if you can say the same thing for the women's team. I don't think too much has been invested in professionalizing the structure for women's cricket to ensure that the best talent rises to the top. Railway still seems to be the dominant team. You have only a few other teams coming through. And only now have they said everybody should have a men's team and a women's team. So it's going to be a while before the talent is there to see England and Australia and for that matter New Zealand have fantastic domestic structures. So when they build, put an 2020 Premier 2020 league on top of that structure, it will shine. But that is not an end in itself. It is only, like I said, you build up the base, this will come through very well. It will be an opportunity to showcase the talent that is there. If you have very limited talent and you try to spread it across four teams, you will not get the kind of quality that will bring people to the stadium. People don't want to watch and people are not watching women's cricket out of charity or, you know, as you say in Canada, Ayo Papa or something like that. They're watching it because it's good competitive cricket. Right. Uh, that, that, you know, that standard is improving. They are showing that you know a bunch of uh, fantastic young women are coming through the system. You want that to be showcased. And I think when you're sure that, yes, we now have a structure good enough that will allow them to come through to the top, I think you will definitely have a competition which can compete with the uh, Women's Big Bash or the Kia League in uh, the UK. So I think which is where it's good that they want to do this, but they have to be, they have to be realistic that it is a three or four year plan. First, focus on improving the professional structure at the base, mm. get a solid pool of talent and showcase the best of that talent alongside the IP. I don't see why not. It took time for the success of the BBL to translate into the success of the WBBL. And now they're having the two separately. They, they don't feel the need for WBBL to go alongside BBL to attract crowds. It's a solid spectator sport in its own right. I think it's possible. In India, there's no reason why it's not possible. Especially if they follow the same principle, what you said, right? So they play double headers. There's a WBBL game, following that there's a BBL game. Yes. You use that as a marketing exercise. Mm. It's just marketing to say this is the quality. For people who may not have thought about watching women's games, for people who may not have heard about women's cricket or whatever, Bring them into the stadium first, show this is the quality, then I'm sure you'll be able to have a sustained women's IPL in India four or five years down the line once you start. So it's possible, but you have to start from the right end. You have to start from the right end of the problem and then get to the solution. No, that's a very good thought process. I think I'll, I would leave it at that because I think you encapsulated it pretty well. Yeah. So these are all the interesting points that we had to talk. Thanks a lot for, you know, uh, giving us your time to participate in our podcast. So it's been an absolute pleasure, Alok. 
it's it's been my pleasure to be on the podcast ajit and uh, thank you so much for having me right do you have anything to say about you know your work outside in the media or your other podcasts so just a little bit about myself um, i'm a lawyer but i don't practice in courts i work for this body called the vidhi center for legal policy we okay. advise uh, government on how to state central government on how to make laws uh, but podcasting is my hobby it's a bit of a some passion that i have tried to develop in the last few months and years uh, basically i think it's a nice uh, a nice platform to talk about things in a long and sustained way and make for interesting conversation ganatantra is one which uh, i'm spending a lot of time and energy on uh, cricket kandiga podcast uh, and my co-host uh, sarju natarajan both the two of us uh, cricket kandiga is actually the brainchild of uh, sunil raghavendra uh, he's a director and a filmmaker and general arts person in here in uh, bangalore and okay. the four of us uh sunil uh, tejasvi madura and me we tend to like rotate so occasionally all four of us but, but we want we we put this we started this with the aim that the podcasting world needs a lot kannada content we want to use this opportunity to put out kannada content right from the start that it shouldn't be that podcasting becomes big and suddenly everybody scrambles to say why there no kannada podcast i think from now itself if we start building a portfolio of kannada podcast it will uh, do well in the future thanks a lot thanks a lot for your time and uh, hope we can get you back on as a you know guest sure. sometime soon always always my pleasure i'd be happy to be here thanks a lot bye 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 well that was indeed a very nice chat with alok now going ahead let's go into the trivia section so before we look at the trivia section from the previous week and the answers we have a couple of corrections submitted to us by our regular user yogesh for the trivia question from episode 56 where we had asked the number of times where the last over of a t20 was made in so clearly we had found only six answers but it looks like there are three more so yogesh has found out that uh, jitan patel for new zealand versus west indies in 2018 in international t20 apart from that the semi final of the bbl of 2014 2015 edition where clint mckay bowled a made into hti and sheldon cottrell who bowling for amazon uh, warriors versus nevis patriots on the second match of the cpl 2017 season also bowled a made in the last over so clearly we have now realized that there are nine such occasions not just six but there are nine occasions where the last over of a t20 was a made in so thanks to yogesh for pointing that out now uh, the trivia question from the previous episode was when in the history of ashes did a bowler take 19 minutes for a warm up keeping the batter waiting so this is like a real cricket anecdote and uh, we have a lot of right answers so on twitter we have rohit yadav and then chella kumar satish kumar parth narodia and of course our regular listener yogesh all of these guys have given the right answer so the occasion when a bowler actually bowled 19 minutes of warm up keeping the incoming batter waiting was in 1909 so all the way back on august 10th of 1909 uh, warwick armstrong the then uh, you know the all rounder of australia kept the debutant frank wooley waiting by bowling trial deliveries to his teammates for 19 minutes so it was 22 year old uh, wooley making a debut and england were 187 for four and uh, i think they took advantage of the rules that allowed this so it was a bit of gamesmanship i'm sure from australia that we get to see every now and then so going on to the trivia question of this week the trivia question is 
given that the Ashes third test is being played at Headingley. So the question is related to that ground. So which batsman has the highest test aggregate, that is number of runs scored at Headingley and in how many innings? So you could get in touch with us to let us know the answer to this question or maybe your thoughts about our podcast and maybe this specific episode and so on. For example, via the social media platforms, you could get in touch with us on Twitter at armchickrickpod or via our Facebook page or write into us at armchick.cricket at gmail.com. It is very nice to see that we have some more listeners taking interest and giving us answers on Twitter and other places. So I hope this keeps going on. What with so many more tests coming up, right? So we have a lot to discuss in the upcoming episodes. And we also have some very exciting guests lined up just like this episode. So I hope you all stay tuned in. Thanks a lot for tuning in. And uh, I hope to have your company in the upcoming episodes as well. Thank you and have a great day. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.